Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? We good? This is a lively bunch, I could tell. We got way more jokes at some of the non-funny jokes in this service than we did in the last service. So that tells me you're with us. We're glad you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. If you're in the room, welcome to those of you that are watching online today. I know we've got some folks that are sick and those that are still kind of traveling to finish out the school break for those that are affected by the school calendar as well. But uh, I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you chose to be here. You heard uh, a couple of things right there, both through the jokes and through the announcements from Pastor Aaron, but we do have two really great things happening just in the next few weeks, and we want you to be a part of them. Uh, and if after watching that, you don't sign up for Marriage Matters, they're probably not going to sign up, really. I mean, that's, that was a pretty hard sell. They made marriage sound terrible, though. I don't know what, what your marriage is like. Our marriage is fantastic. I, I would have had no jokes. It's all positive things. And I was, um, I was basing my jokes off somebody else's marriage. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a good thing. So, but we would love for you to be there. Friday night, we do have a comedian, and we'll have dinner, and it's kind of an on-the-grounds date night. We want you to be here for that on Friday. And then on Saturday, we're going to jump right into some practicals. Uh, about marriage and relationships. And so we would love for you to register for the whole weekend, Friday and Saturday. But if you do have other things going on that weekend, we know there's a lot of other things happening. You can register. There's a one-day option as well, whether it's Friday or Saturday. Uh, But we want you to be there for the Marriage Matters Conference. We've got a number of folks that have already registered, but there's still room for you. And so we want you there. And then the next Saturday night, March the 18th, is our March Madness event. Uh, Let me hear it, all the guys. Let me hear you. There we go. I got a couple right over here. Not as many maybe in the back. That's the ladies section, I guess. But uh, we're thankful for all the guys in our church, and and we want to get together. So on that Saturday night, we've got March Madness on the televisions. Uh, But even if you're not a basketball fan, uh, we're going to eat some great food. We're going to just have a lot of fun and laughter together. We're also going to come together and be encouraged through God's word. We have a guest speaker that night, Bruce Deal from the City of Refuge, an incredible ministry, not just here in Atlanta, but really around the United States. And uh, so he'll, he'll come and really challenge us as men. This is not about like manly men. It's a little bit about that, but not entirely. Like it's just about being the man that God has called us to be. And so we want to come together. This is for men of all ages, from the youngest to the oldest. So we would love for you to be a part of that as well. Uh, But we're doing this really out of our heart because generations matter. It's why we're doing our marriage event. It's why we're doing this men's event. It's why we do Sundays like we do. It's why I'm so thankful to have Pastor Carson with me today. Pastor Carson is our youth and young adults pastor. And in honor of him, I tried to dress like a youth pastor. And really, I just look like a dad bod trying to cover up that he was a youth pastor 20 years ago, I guess. Um, and so I don't know what you're dressed like, I'm, but uh, it I'm, looks great. It looks yeah. fantastic. As you a did new great. dad, yeah. I've been working on my dad bod. Yeah, um, work they, in progress. Yeah, they were like, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps. And I just, I started eating when the baby ate. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it turns out I wasn't made to eat every three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, tough. Well, I am so thankful that Pastor Carson and his wife, Pastor Madeline, who is our G Kids pastor, that they really help lead the charge for the next generation of Generations Church. And we do have a heart for the next generation. And so I'm thankful for that. And that really gives us a great opportunity today to share in this concluding part of the series that we've been in all month long in the month of February called Real Families. Uh, what we said at the very beginning of this month is that there is no ideal family. Uh, there's a ton of uh, what family can look like, a lot of different contexts of family. And so today, we want to conclude by staying in the story of the life and family of King David, but we're also going to look at some other stories that help us to kind of see what real families look like in a lot of different ways, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
but, but one of my favorite stories that I think helps to kind of get us into this story of King David and his son Absalom, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes, is, is really the, the, the baptism of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 3. And you don't have to turn there yet because you're probably going to hang with us in 2 Samuel in a few minutes if you want to go start looking for that. But in Matthew chapter 3 in the New Testament, this is one of the places that we see the baptism of Jesus. And we read this beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I told you there's a couple things that I love out of this story, but the first of them is that I love that Jesus got baptized. It's a great challenge and reminder for all of us that we need to be baptized. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already, we did baptism last Sunday, but if you haven't already, to consider being baptized the next time that we give that opportunity. Because every single week, just about, we have people that lift their hands to say, hey, I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And the next step for you after that is to be baptized in water, to, to celebrate publicly with your church family and your friends and family this private decision that you've made to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. So whether it was the first time or what we would call a recommitment. And so when you make that decision to follow Christ, we've got a, a box out there to give to you, to resource you as you take some first and next steps in relationship with him. But baptism is that first step. And I love that Jesus kind of started his ministry by being baptized to publicly declare who he was in the Father. And then I love, the second part of that I love is how we see this picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in this one telling of this story. The, the word Trinity never actually appears in the Bible, but we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, kind of expressed in three persons. They are unique in their function and their role, but they are one entity, one God. That's not three gods, but one God. And so we see here in this story the Son of God coming up out of the water. We see the Spirit of God descending from heaven like a dove. And then we hear the voice of God, the Father, from heaven. And he declares three specific things about the Son. He said, this is my Son whom I love and with whom I am pleased. There's three things that we see he gives to his Son that I think are important. One is relationship. This is my Son. He gives relationship. He speaks and says, hey, just so you guys know... I have a relationship with this guy coming up out of the water. As, as fathers or mothers in the room, I would say to our children, one of the things that we could give is not just kind of the bloodline, like, hey, I have a relationship because I have to, like they were born into our family. It's like, no, 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 this, this is my son. This is my daughter. We declare that kind of relationship to them. The second thing that he provides is affection, who I love. This is my son who I love. And so I would say to all of us as parents, just talking to parents for a minute, like give affection. That can look a lot of different ways. And I know I heard even recently somebody within our church was talking. They said, hey, in my family of origin, like we never hugged. I never heard my dad or my mom say, I love you. But, but whatever that looked like for you, I would find a way to express affection towards your children in your family. And then the third thing that is provided by the father here is affirmation in whom I'm pleased. I, I, I like who they are. I like what they're doing. I, I'm, I'm affirming their purpose in life and the giftedness that they have, finding something to affirm, relationship, affection, and affirmation. Like for the parents in the room, let me just say to you, that's something that we can and should provide to our children and to our grandchildren because I believe that they crave it, they desire it, 
And really, ultimately, before we jump into David and Absalom, just a challenge for all of us as parents. If that's something that God provided for his son, it's probably something we need to provide for our children, too. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I mean, as we can tell, like, through the text and throughout Scripture, like, God is a good father. Like, we wrote songs about it. I'm not going to sing it, but good, good father. You've heard it, so it's fine. Um, But... David had a little bit more trouble being a dad, um, and I think probably a huge part of that was having multiple wives. Um, You know, we joke about marriage and stuff like that, but, you know, marriage can be difficult, and I can imagine being married to multiple women would be even more difficult. Um, So King David had, had a couple different issues, but his son Absalom ends up rebelling with him. So we're actually going to kind of jump into the middle of a story um, in 2 Samuel 14 and 15. Um, but I would just encourage you guys as a family, as, 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 a, as a unit who's looking you know, to be more like Christ, right? If that's, if that's our goal, I'd read this story. There's a lot of family dynamics that are going on that could be super helpful. And because we're kind of jumping in the middle of it, I would just encourage you guys to open up your Bibles and read together. So Absalom is David's son and a great injustice was done to let's say his part of the family. You guys can go read it. But Absalom felt like injustice was happening in his life and he decided to rebel because of that. He does it in an interesting way. He invites all his family to come. There's some sheep shears. He's like, hey, come. King David doesn't end up coming, but all his siblings do. Um, and in the midst of that, King, I mean, Absalom murders his half-brother. He ends up committing murder, um, and everyone flees. They go to tell the king. Um, the king is in deep mourning, and then Absalom flees, and he's gone for three years. And then kind of in a similar Sim- I did this in the first service too, kind of in a more similar literary pattern. There we go. You got it quicker uh, this time. Yeah, this, yeah, I really did. Um, but kind of in a similar literary pattern, uh, we saw a t- couple weeks ago when the prophet Nathan comes after David uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba and then you know murders Uriah, her husband. He comes and tells David a parable, and David recognizes his injustice that he's done. And in a similar sense, we see someone come and tell David a story, and David realizes the injustice in his own life and sees the need to reconcile, or at least kind of, right? Um, Let's look at the text in, in 2 Samuel 14. It reads like this, starting in 23. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. And the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. And so Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. And in all Israel, it says this about Absalom, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. And whenever he cut the hair off his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him and he would weigh it. And its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. And then in verse 28, it says, Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. If you're keeping count, that's five years total, right? That's simple math. Five years he went without seeing his father. And as we talk about the dynamics of maybe being distanced um, from a child or, or a loved one, five years is a long time. Maybe some of you can resonate with that length of time. And, and it's, it's really hard, right? Like the King David is mourning, but he ends up bringing his son back, but he doesn't see him for two more years. There's these ideas in scriptures um, that kind of begin in Genesis, but continue to unfold throughout the text. They, they unravel so that we can better understand them. But most ideas and themes throughout Scripture actually start in the first couple pages. Um, and one is this. We live in a world that's full of brokenness, right? Because of the original sin, Adam and Eve, they took of the fruit. They chose to take matters in their own hands instead of trusting in God. And 
in response, God, in his righteousness, he's equal righteous, he's equal love, he's equal justice-oriented, he had to respond and end up like kicking them out of the garden, right? Like they couldn't live in a place without sin because of the decisions they made. The first thing I want to look at this morning is the fear of injustice causes rebellion. The fear of injustice causes rebellion. Rebellion, as we all know, is turning away from the right thing. But injustice could be anything from with a, a more high school example, right? Like if you, if you were a high schooler, you might want to attend a party or hang out with your boyfriend or girlfriend alone or something like that. And your parents may not allow you to do that because, you know, and you feel like that's an injustice. But ultimately, right, like they don't want to put you in a situation that may not glorify God. And then, you know, another example of injustice might be this, from a parent to a child. Like if your child is emotionally going through something and trying to process it and they came to you, it'd be an injustice if you didn't sort through it with them and you just like, man, I've given to them so much as a parent. I'll let them, you know, life is busy. I'm going to let them figure it out on their own. Like sometimes that feels really difficult. It might feel like an injustice towards the child. And what I notice in scripture is when we're afraid of injustice, we hide our sin, right? We're all filled with sin, but we tend to hide it when we feel like the response is not going to be just towards us. And sometimes as a parent or even in some cases as a child, all you can do is let them walk away no matter the consequences, right? Like, like through the free will of Adam and Eve, they made their decision and God kind of had to let them walk out of the garden and not let them back into it. And if we, if we go through it thematically, like God is a God of justice. And because we recognize that as followers of Jesus, like we, we recognize that we want to serve a God that's filled with justice, right? Like, yeah. like you, everyone would rather serve someone who like cared about justice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes? yes? We're all agreeing? Yeah. We're all in this? Okay, good. There we go. All right. Well, we, we recognize that as human beings when it's missing, right? Like we know that we have like a desire in us to be treated fair and treated with justice, and we tend to crave it. The problem lies in, is because we're sinful creatures, we sometimes redefine what justice is. We redefine what good is. We redefine what evil is. We put it in our own heads, and then the system kind of breaks down. Adam and Eve did this. They took it in their own hands. They thought that they should be like God, right? They believed a lie. They're like, I need to be like God for me to be, you know, to live well, and and they were wrong, right? And so that's kind of when sin enters. Sin enters because it tempts us by taking our awareness of a need and then swaps the way it should be fulfilled. It yeah. tempts us by taking our awareness of what we need and swapping the way it should be fulfilled or to word it a different way. We all have needs as human beings, right? And we all sin and sin gives us a counterfeit answer to what we need. It that's doesn't good. actually fulfill the desire or the, and it's not gonna get us the solution. We'll see that in the story. In 2 Samuel 15, we see this about Absalom. He Absalom would get up early and he would stand by the road leading to the city gate, okay? That's where people would enter the city. And whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, well, your servant's from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that they would receive justice, right? Like Adam and Eve took the fruit because they thought they needed to be like God. And in the same sense, Absalom's like, if I were king, it would be different. And in five, it says this, anyone who approached him to bow down to him, Absalom would reach out his hand, he would take hold and kiss him. And Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king to ask for justice. And he stole the hearts of the people. Kids and people in general, we all know 
that we crave leadership, not management. We don't just want someone to like, kind of like put us in there. We need someone to lead and guide us. And, and we oftentimes look for God that, but we as people also desire intimacy with other people. We see that in Genesis, right? Man was not made to be left alone. And that's not just between like a spouse, right? Like, like none of us were made to be alone. Like we're made to be with other people. And David simply letting his son return to the kingdom of Jerusalem and not allowing true reconciliation drove Absalom's thirst for rebellion. Rebellion happens. And from the beginning, it was because of mistrust and leadership. It happened in the garden. It happened in the kingdom. And that's how we get from reading Genesis 2.25 that says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame to just a few verses later, Genesis 3.10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And as the story continues, we see David abandon the palace. He leaves the palace. He gives it over to his son that he could take it over. And he starts trusting God with the results. Okay. King David walked away to protect Absalom from himself. Yeah, I think for all of us. Oh, there we go. Uh, I think for all of us, when we hear this story, you're like, okay, where are all these pieces kind of fitting? Where do they come together? You, you have brokenness in this father and this son, David and Absalom. And, and I don't know where you kind of live in this. I, I don't know. Maybe your family right now is just awesome and things are great and everybody loves everybody and, and that's awesome. And so we're not necessarily kind of not talking to you today. Maybe you file some of these things away. But I do think that there's a lot of us that we're in some context where maybe there's one or more family members that are kind of trying to do their own thing or they've, they've run away, or they've rebelled, or they're trying to steal the heart of the family, or steal the heart of the friends away from us, and telling their own narrative and their own story. And so there's a ton of brokenness there, perhaps. And, and in some form, when we read this story of David and Absalom, we see a lot of blame and a lot of possible scenarios for how it could have gotten to this place. But, but ultimately, what we see is like, there are some things that you and I can can glean from that help us to try to maybe not make some of the same mistakes, but also try to figure out how do we bring brokenness back together if that's the heart of the Father. And I love that in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, Joab, son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. Joab, who would have been the general, he was one of the kind of the top advisors for King David, he knew the king's heart, and, and we don't necessarily know how he knew the king's heart related to this. Maybe in conversation, he would hear the king every now and then reference Absalom, and you remember when Absalom did this, and I wonder what Absalom's up to, and oh, you remember when he was a little boy, and I'm thinking about all my children, including, I, I don't know how it all played out. I'm not trying to add to the story, but something had happened over the course of time that Joab knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom, and, and I think the, the learning for all of us, I'm going to speak to parents again for just a few minutes and grandparents and those that maybe are, are thinking about their children or their grandchildren or, or those that are kind of younger than them in their family or, or friendship context, man, we, we have to keep our heart open to reconciliation. Now, here, please don't hear what I'm not saying because I know some of you, you've already walked a long road. I, I know you've already been hurt and manipulated and you've spent a ton of money and a ton of time and Man, there's, there's so many stories. Like, I, I couldn't even give you the mic today because we wouldn't be able to tell all the stories of all the things. So I'm not saying you've got to keep allowing them to hurt you and abuse your family and manipulate the family. And there may be seasons that require tough love and separation and distance. But I do believe that even with that, that our heart must stay open to the possibility of reconciliation should they ever desire it. 
If you've done everything you know to do, everything that you can do, if, you, if you've responded in every way possible to represent Christ in every way that you know, like, that's incredible. And you have done everything that you know to do. And so you can just sit and rest and allow that to take place. But our hearts have to stay soft to the possibility at some point that there's still this longing in our heart towards reconciliation should it ever present itself. And we see this in a number of places, I believe, in Scripture. You've already heard kind of the, the, the garden. You've heard about David and Absalom, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. But I also love the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son story is very familiar to a lot of people, even outside of the context of faith. But just for a second, we'll kind of revisit this story. A son, the youngest son, came to his father one day and said, hey, dad, I want what's mine. I want my inheritance. In the Hebrew context, that would have been the equivalent of him saying to his dad, you're dead to me. I only want what you would leave me if you were dead. I want to sever the relationship and have nothing to do with you. And I just think like, well, how would I respond if one of my kids came and asked me that? I'd probably be like, no, you're not getting anything that's mine. Like, you're not going to do that and you're grounded. Like, I don't know how I'd have responded, right? But the dad in this story, in the retelling or the telling of this story, the dad says, okay, He gives him what would have been his, his rightful part of the inheritance. And then scripture tells us that the son took what was given to him and he left and he went to a distant country and he squandered it all on wild living. Now, some of you, that's your testimony. You got a tattoo or a shirt to prove it, like just the wild living in a distant place and you you left and wandered away. And there comes a moment where he's out of money and once he was out of money, he was out of friends and he finds himself tending the pigs of another gentleman and he's in the pig slop and he's so hungry and his stomach is like just gnawing. He's like, oh man, I got to have something to eat. And he's starting to eat what the pigs were eating. And he has this aha moment. Maybe you've been there as well. He has this, I like, man, even the servants in my dad's house have it better than I have it right now. What am I doing here? And so he starts to think, how do I get back home? Well, I can't go back as a son. I severed that relationship. I took what was mine and I left. But maybe my dad would hire me back as a servant of the house. And he formulates this speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired servants. And he just practices that over and over. And he gets to the point where eventually he feels like he knows it well enough and he can say it and recite it with enough passion and conviction that maybe his dad's heart will respond to him. And so he starts on this journey home. And he's practicing this speech, I believe, all the way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And I just think he's practicing it over and over. And he turns the corner, and he sees his house off in the distance. I got to think in that moment, his heart's pounding, his palms are sweating. He starts to practice it one more time just to make sure. And he sees his house. But he also sees something else in that moment. He sees his father running from the house to him. So now he's like, okay. When he gets here, okay, here we go. And his dad gets to him, and you got to imagine at that moment, he's super nervous, and it may just come out like in a, a, a really fast pace. Father, I'm sending. And before he can even finish the speech, his dad just grabs a hold of him and hugs him. And his dad says to the servants, Hey, bring the robe and put it on him. He takes his ring off and puts it on his son's finger, which would have been an indication that, Hey, this is my son. There's relationship here. He tells the servants, he said, hey, go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a party because the son of mine who was dead is actually alive and he is restored back to the family. This beautiful picture of what happens when a sinner comes to find life in Jesus Christ. God the Father tells us that there's this celebration in heaven. He gives us right standing and relationship. He puts his identity on us. He puts the robe, the righteousness of Christ on us. It's this beautiful picture. The Father's heart 
was for reconciliation. He didn't chase him down. He allowed him to make his own decisions. There was a season of distance. But when the son turned back home, when he took that step back home, as soon as the father saw him, he ran to him. There has to be this heart for reconciliation in the heart of fathers and mothers. And I love that the story of the prodigal son includes hurt and pain, but it also includes reconciliation. I love that in part the story of David and Absalom includes a ton of hurt and a ton of pain and a ton of misunderstanding. But Joab knew that the heart of David longed for Absalom. So there may be seasons of tough love and distance and we allow them to kind of make their own decisions. We understand some of those things, but our heart longs for it. And here's the question for all of us in the room that may find ourselves in a place like this now or maybe in the future. If they become willing to reconcile, are we willing to do so as well? That's so good. Um, we're on? Yep. There we go. Um, yeah, that's so good. I think, I think the prodigal son story is one that we can all resonate with, right? Like at some point, there's been a broken relationship in each one of our lives. And if not, if you live long enough, it'll happen. I think the hardest part of, from the point of view of the father is you can only control you, yeah. right? Like you can't control somebody else's action um, and sometimes, like, no matter how much you want to reconcile, they may, may still rebel. They may still run away. And Ecclesiastes kind of talks about these seasons of life. And to paraphrase, you know, there's seasons as a parent to shape and mold. There's seasons to discipline and to grow and to let them experience things with and without you. And seasons where you just let them go and trust. And King David ends up walking away to protect Absalom from himself. David flees into the woods. And then Absalom kind of, if you read the story, like he he continues to make decisions that make him p feel powerful, yeah. make him feel like king, but they end up hurting himself and the people around him. And that's kind of the prodigal son story, right? Like the dad didn't chase him. He let him go. But when he saw him coming home, he ran to him. In the same sense, like God did exile Adam and Eve, right? Like that did happen, right? But from paradise in the garden because of their sin, but he also provided a way of reconciliation, not just for them, but for all mankind, right? Like that's why we're here today. The, the spotless lamb is a prat, uh, that was a shadow of what was to come in, in the Christ who saved us all. And sometimes when we, let them, when we let our children walk in their own ways, you know, we just have to have that reminder, right? Like yeah. I'm gonna leave the door open for reconciliation. And just like the father in the story and just like our father in heaven, when we ran from him, He's going to rejoice on our return. But I guess the question is, how do we respond in the trial if we can only control ourselves, right? Like, like you're in the midst of it, and, and someone's kind of abandoned you, and, and you long for them, kind of like King David longed for Absalom. What do you do in that scenario? How do sons and daughters and mothers and fathers go about days when it feels like something's missing in our home and, and missing in our hearts? What happens when you feel like there's justice missing in your story? And the scripture kind of like, you know, alludes to that. Like, like there's, there's a lot of text surrounding. I kind of wrote some down just as kind of like, you know, responses of, of what scripture says about relationship and reconciliation. Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said, go to your brother if you feel like they've sinned against you. Like that's a challenge, right? Somebody's wronged you, you go to them and honor your father and mother, right? Like one of the original commandments or how uh, Ephesians 6, 2 phrases it, right? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It says that you would live a long life, right? Or, or Romans 12, 18, which is more kind of a blanket statement that says like, live peaceably among all people. Among all people, live peaceably. It's, it's kind of, and then, you know, from a parent's perspective, you think of this verse like, you know, Proverbs aren't promises, but they are, they are in the book for wise living, right? Like, like train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, 
you know, they won't part from it. That's kind of my story. I'd, I know there were nights my mom was up praying in, in, in her prayer closet crying that I would return to Jesus because I didn't always follow him. You know, that's, that's a part of my story. And I think if you look deep enough into your families, right, like there's, there's hints of that. There's, there's times where we have to be filled with prayer that our child or our parent would be reconciled to God. And then you see this interesting passage in, in Matthew 10, and it's Jesus talking, and I'll read verses 34 to 39 with you. Jesus, Jesus says, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. How can the word of God say all these things? That one specifically seems hard to grasp. That God said that Jesus was on earth and he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I think there's actually a lot more hope in that verse than we realize because reconciliation is the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is reconciliation. It's, it's kind of like the whole biblical story is, is God reconciling man to himself when they were the ones that hurt him by their sin. It's this picture of a mosaic and, and broken pieces being restored and put together in their perfect order. And Jesus' blood has the power to mend any broken relationship dynamic that we could even fathom. The question is, are we willing to participate in what Jesus said following him was like? Hmm. Are we willing to participate in what Jesus said following him was like? And I think one of the big things surrounding this question is prayer. I think the answer is prayer. We're actually um, going through prayer in the month of March in G Youth. We're going to we're talk about it for, for the whole month. And pa- prayer is just such a vital part of our faith. Talking to the Father as he shifts the heart's of man, right? Like, like, like Jesus never really taught his disciples how to preach. You might've heard it said this, but he did dis- teach his disciples how to pray. Yeah. He didn't teach them how to preach. He taught them how to pray. And so that relationship with our father is kind of what mends hearts and fences and reconciliation. Ultimately, recon- reconciliation is the gospel. And I want us to resonate with this because if you continue to read the story, Absalom loses his life. He gets into a war that he can't handle and loses his life, and David mourns. My, my dad always said growing up, the worst thing that could happen was for a parent to outlive their child. Like, David mourns that Absalom was killed, even in his rebellion. And ultimately, Absalom doesn't just lose his life. He loses his place in the kingdom. He was the son of a king, and he loses his place in the lineage of the Messiah, right? Like, the Messiah was supposed to come through the line of David, and he loses all of that And what we see is Absalom went about the way to kingship in a way filled with deceit. And God ultimately does not bless our efforts when they're sought outside of what he says is good. And it's the righteous, right? It's not the beautiful or the handsome, as handsome as he may be, right? Like it is the righteous. It's the ones looking to God as their hope that continue to prevail in his kingdom. Absalom goes his own way instead of the way God chooses for him, and it wrecked his hope, and it did it because of lack of repentance. So reconciliation is the gospel and repentance is the gospel, right? Repentance is the gospel, but reconciliation is the plan that God has for all of mankind to himself. And the hope has to be that Jesus is working all things together for his glory 
and everything is to be restored in perfect timing if, if, if you follow him. Yeah, and I think if you're sitting here today and you're like, oh, that sounds great, but we've experienced brokenness and reconciliation has not happened, and as much as we hoped it would and want it to be, like, where does that leave us? And I would say to you, if you are, I, I was trying to pray this week and we were talking as we were preparing, like, there's probably at least two groups of people in the room. If, if you are the rebellious one, like, you're here, praise God for that, but you know that you're kind of the one that wandered off. You, you tried to steal the hearts. You, you tried to take what was yours and leave. You, you've caused at least 51% of the hurt, whether you wanted to admit that or not. You thought you had been done wrong. There had been some injustice, and so you took off, and you kind of did your own thing. But you know, like in this story, like I'm, I'm the rebellious one. I'm the prodigal son or daughter. I'm Absalom. I'm the guilty party, and you're here. Like what? What should you hear today? You should hear this, that, that reconciliation is the gospel and that forgiveness is possible. It's going to be some tough conversations and coming back home and you may have thought about your speech all the time, but I promise you that, that the heart of the father and hopefully the heart of your father, mother, grandparents, whoever it is that's kind of caused the brokenness in, in the relationship that, that's a part of this brokenness, we, like the heart of the father is for reconciliation, but you have a choice. And if you don't choose to reconcile, it's going to cost you. You, you, you may find yourself in more hurt and pain than you ever thought, and you may miss out on the blessings that God desires for you if you don't choose to come back home. But if you're sitting in the room and you're a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt, uncle, you're somebody that you've got a prodigal in your life. There's somebody who's wandered off. They, they left the fold. And your heart breaks and you've done everything you know to do and you're not really sure where to go from here. What, what should you hear today? That reconciliation is the gospel. And that we believe that the heart of the Father is towards reconciliation. And you can only control what you control. But that we pray your heart stays soft to reconciliation. And that your heart stays soft towards the one who hurt you, who left you, who ran away. But reconciliation is the gospel. And so you just keep praying. And you keep loving them from a distance. And I said this to Pastor Carson. I told you I'm dressed like a guy that was a youth pastor 20 years ago. I also made a reference that I don't know that he fully got. But there used to be a commercial for Motel 6, like, we'll leave the light on for you. Anybody remember that? I kind of feel like that's the father and mother mantra of prodigals. Like, we'll leave the light on for you. We want you to come back home. We, 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 we've tried to chase you maybe, or we've allowed you to wander off and do your own thing, but just know, like, if you choose to turn back to our family, we'll leave the light on for you. I told this story a couple years ago. I think I've actually told it twice in the history of our church. I was talking to some guys that have been here for a while, and a number of years ago, I heard this story sitting in a service exactly like this. And sometimes preachers tell stories and you're like, there's no way that's true. I, I can call the people that told this story and they can vouch for it and I vouch for it. And there was a pastor and his wife in Alabama who had a daughter who walked away. She, she decided, I'm going to go do my own thing. And when it says like he wandered off to a distant, like this girl literally left the country. 
She didn't want anything to do with her family. She wanted to make her own decisions, do her own things, live her own life, and she did. And, and it broke her parents' heart, and they, they didn't know how to get in touch with her. This was before like the access that we have with devices now to FaceTime and to communicate so easily around the world. Like They didn't know where she was. And they were in a service one night praying for their daughter. God, we don't know where she's at. We, we, we don't know where she's at and what we're going to do, but Lord, we love her. And just if it's possible, would you reconnect us, reunite us, bring reconciliation? But like if the first step, just let her know wherever she is, if she's on the other side of town or the other side of the world, would you just let her know that her mom and dad love her? And the dad, this pastor said, he felt in that moment, as, as clear as he's ever heard the Lord say anything to him in some form, he felt this impression, Pizza Hut, Barcelona, Spain. He thought, I guess I want Pizza Hut tonight. I mean, I guess that's something I, I, but he couldn't shake it. Just Pizza Hut, Barcelona, Spain. He was like, there's no way that's the Lord. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if there is a Pizza Hut in Barcelona, Spain. And if there is, I don't know how to get in touch with them. And I, I, I Pizza Hut, Barcelona, Spain. So he goes to the phone and he just picks it up and he, he eventually gets connected. He doesn't even know how to really start it. He just eventually gets connected to an international operator and he says, hey, I need to reach a pizza hut in Barcelona, Spain. There may not be one. There may be more than one. I don't know. But I just need, and before he could even finish, the operator said, I'm connecting you now. So he's holding the phone and he doesn't even know who's going to pick up. And a guy from Barcelona picks up and it's a little bit of broken English, but this dad, this father says, I, I'm looking for Stacy. Is there a Stacy there? The guy said, I, I don't know. And he puts the phone against his chest. He said, phone call for Stacy. Phone call for Stacy. No one responds. So instead of hanging up the phone, the guy just decides, oh, okay. So he, he walks out to the front of the restaurant. He opens the glass door and he just yells out in the street. Is there a Stacy? There's a phone call for Stacy. And wouldn't you know it, coincidence or the sovereignty of God, there's an American girl walking by on the sidewalk right then. And she said, my name's Stacy. He said, you have a phone call. He hands her the phone. And for the first time in a long time, she hears the voice of her father back home in Alabama who said, baby, I love you and we want you to come back home. And she did. And if you're listening to that today, you're probably thinking, there's no way. I, that's, I, you do with it what you want to. But he's a big God. And he loves your son and he loves your daughter or your niece or your nephew or your grandchild even more than you do. And we have to have the faith to believe that a God who loves them would reach to the other side of the world if it meant bringing them back home. So don't stop praying, don't stop believing, don't stop loving them today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end a little differently than we do sometimes. First, I just want everybody in the room just to bow your head just for a minute. Just close your eyes just for a second. Just an opportunity for you to reflect, kind of figure out, like, where does this story connect to me today? Where does this land? Am I the rebellious one? Am I the one who ran away? Am I the one who's caused the hurt, the pain, the disconnect? Am I, the, am I the father in the story? Am I, am I King David? Am I longing for, is my heart still longing for the son or daughter or grandchild? Or where do I land in this story if it connects to me? What truth do I learn about 
Father God today. And what I'm going to do in just a second, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, just for a moment of reflection, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand for prayer. Only if this connects. We're going to give you the opportunity to stand at one time, all of us that respond, so that nobody knows kind of where you're at in this, if you don't want to share. But if you're the rebellious one, you've caused some hurt, some pain, you walked away, you caused some disconnect, and you need to make it right. And the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart these last few minutes. You know you got to send the text, make the phone call, drive to their house today. I encourage you in just a second. It's going to take a really, really courageous step, but you need to stand up in just a moment when I count to three. Or if you're a mom, dad, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa of someone who walked away, they've created some disconnect and some brokenness, and you're praying for and seeking reconciliation in some form. It's going to be some hard conversations. It's going to take some time. But if you see them turn down your road, you're going to run to them. It's your heart. You want the Lord to soften your heart towards that. Just a second. When I count to three, I just want you to stand. And we're going to pray for all of us today that respond in some form. Don't be afraid. Don't let the enemy lie to you, deceive you, manipulate this moment. If you are the one who walked away or you have someone who walked away and you desire reconciliation, even the seeds of it, I want you to stand. One, two, three. You can stand right now. You can stand right now. Stand right now. Stand right now. Stand right now. You're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. Anybody else, we're not in a hurry. We're not in a hurry. You can stand right now. God, I pray right now for every person that's standing in this room. Every person that's standing literally or figuratively that's watching right now online or maybe at some point in the future. God, it could be that there are some prodigal sons and daughters whose parents are sitting in this room and they're watching online right now. And God, we thank you for that. But God, I pray for every single one of us, wherever we find ourselves in this story, that God, if we are the prodigal, we've run away, we cause some of the hurt, we cause some of that pain, There was injustice maybe. It wasn't entirely our fault, but we were the ones that rebelled and ran away. God, I pray right now that you would soften our heart towards forgiveness, forgiving those who hurt us, and that we would come back home. We'd make the phone call, send the text, get in the car and make the drive. We would come back home today, right now, right now, right now. In Jesus' name, there'd be healing right now. And God, I pray for every parent sibling, grandparent, aunt, uncle whose heart breaks for someone who has walked away. They've got a prodigal in their life. Reconciliation is the gospel. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they've tried. They've given money and time and they don't know what else they're supposed to do. It may not be that they're supposed to do anything right now other than submit their heart to you and say, God, I'm open. My heart longs for it. If there's something I'm supposed to do, soften it. Give me the courage to have the conversation. Let me go stand on the porch day after day after day, just looking for a glimpse of them. God, whenever you send them my way, whenever they come to their senses, I will run to them and wrap my arms around them. God, would you bring healing and reconciliation to families right now? 
the enemy would love to isolate and to distort and to break and to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Lord, you are the giver of life and you restore and you redeem. So God, we thank you today for the work that you will do among real families of this church and community. You are that kind of God. And if you've got to reach around this city or you've got to reach around the world to bring them back home, we're open to any and all ideas that you have. Bring us back together to be one. God, we'll thank you for it and glorify your name because of it and we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.